Well, again, we're glad you're here, and uh, I trust tonight you'll be encouraged <clears throat> as we move forward tonight. What a what a impactful! I thought that uh, little video was very impactful. I spent uh, probably uh, 75 hours on it this week. It was very difficult. Now that was one of those ones. Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it was awesome, but. Uh, I wish I could do some of the things that they did on that video. We were able to borrow a video for a change. It sure saves us a lot of time when we can do something like that. But uh, what, a, what an impactful video. And boy, I'll tell you what, it certainly expresses uh, our attitude toward the church or what our attitude should be. Amen? I mean, we have a ministry here that can make an impact, make a difference in our culture. We believe that. We wouldn't waste our time here if we didn't believe that. Or at least I wouldn't waste my time. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm all for fellowship, but to be honest with you, I wouldn't spend the hours I spend up here and doing the things I do uh, just so that I could hang out with you. I'm sorry. That's just the reality. I, I, I know that may not sound nice, but that's a reality for me. Hold on a second. I'll get this thing straight here in a minute. It's just something right. I don't know what it is, but <clears throat> there we go. Hopefully that did it. Sometimes it gets caught on these uh, cords underneath, and... Uh, that's yeah, still not quite right. If I stand on that thing, it might just come over. Look at that. Isn't that something? I just can't believe that, can you? <clears throat> no, I can't. All right. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 30 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to ask you fellas to move those back toward the back, please, by those doors, please, would you? It just, to me, it just makes everything look a little bit unsightly from my position. I'll tell you, Dean, can you move those back there to that edge of that door back there? Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Dean. <coughs> All right. First Samuel chapter 30. <coughs> when it gets down to uh, 61 degrees, shut the air off. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. All right. Yeah, if it gets down to about 66 or 67, then you can shut it off. It'll be good the rest of the time, okay? But it won't get there. Okay, anyway, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let's go ahead and read just one verse to begin with. I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of background here in just a moment. And we're going to uh, kind of, I trust, be encouraged again uh, in this area of prayer, especially. <clears throat> Mr. Hamilton, he is, he is encouraged about the prayer. I know he and I have been uh, excited about the uh, prayers at 6 and noon and 6 again and I know he's been probably almost, I think, every one of them, and uh, just uh, it's just important to us that God's working through prayer. And uh, I know many of you have been involved, and we're grateful for that. I want to try to encourage you to keep, keep doing that. <clears throat> um, but prayer is so important. It's so essential, so necessary. And tonight I want to, I want to encourage you in that area. I, I personally, I was teasing Mr. Hamilton. He, he come back, and I said, Brother Hamilton, I'm looking for 40 people to sign up. I, want, I would love to have 40 more people at least sign up for being part of the prayer teams. I, I really would. I, I, think it's, I think it's essential. I think it's absolutely necessary. And I, and I think before we end here tonight, you'll see why I believe that. And uh, I think if you're not able to go uh, soul winning, I think you ought to sign up and pray for a team. You ought to commit to signing up to pray for a team because we need you. We need you. We desperately need you. And uh, today, I hope that will make that very clear here in our message, and I'll encourage you in that endeavor. <coughs> 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 24. I found this very interesting. <clears throat> the Bible says, Then said David, 
Ye shall not do so, my brethren, but that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. Verse 24 now. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. <clears throat> they shall part alike. <clears throat> now, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 3, we read that David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. They had been with the Philistines, and interestingly enough, David and his men were prepared to go fight literally against Israel, to literally team up with the Philistines, the enemy. Now again, you need to understand that David is on the run. Saul, the king of Israel, is chasing him down, hunting him down. He's now finding refuge amongst the Philistines, and because they'd been kind to him, because they had received him unto themselves... He found himself tempted and even, even willing to go fight with the Philistines. But God in his wisdom understood and knew already that even though David and his men were willing to go fight with the Philistines, the Philistines would not have them. So they sent them back to their homes, which was Ziglag. When they arrive at their home, they find that their city has been pillaged, that it had been burned to the ground that their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken. The Bible tells us that David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man was grieved for his sons, and every man was grieved for his daughters and his wife. But David, the Bible tells us, encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I think it's important to notice a phrase. The Bible says that he encouraged himself. Isn't that interesting? That means he didn't need his preacher. That means he didn't need his wife or his husband. That means he didn't need his family all around him. He didn't even need a good time or he didn't need circumstances that were in his benefit. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you, do you know how many people live a life of defeat and discouragement and never can find it in themselves to be encouraged? He encouraged himself in the Lord. You get a hold of the Lord your God. You can be encouraged without the pastor. You'll never need a Sunday school teacher to knock on your door and get you moving. Never need another brother or sister all the time to be pushing you along. You know what you'll be doing? The pushing. You'll be the one encouraging the weaker brother now. The weaker sister. David, the leader, did not need his people to encourage him. He needed God to encourage him. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He began to review in his mind all the things that God had done. And he said, man, I have so much to be thankful for. And there's not one obstacle that is greater than my God. And he came out of that time with God encouraged. 
even though the people threatened to stone him, even though they were angry with him and upset with him, he still could say, hey, it's all right. It's okay. No matter what happens, I know in my heart, I'm good. It's all right. I want to encourage you to have a walk and a relationship with the Lord that avails itself to every circumstance and every situation that enables you to encourage yourself in the Lord. That's not even the message. But that's good. Nonetheless, he encourages himself in the Lord, his God. And then he inquires at the Lord and and the Lord says to him, He says, Shall I pursue after these? Shall I go after them? After this truth that has burned our city and taken our families? And the Lord says, Yeah, you go on after them. You pursue after them. You will overtake them and without fail recover all. <clears throat> so David takes his men. In this particular case, he takes 400 men with him. And he leaves 200 behind. The Bible tells us that there were 200 that were so faint that they could not follow. That means they were so tired and so wore out that they could not engage in battle at that moment. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 21, the Bible says, And David came to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. He said, now when he returned with the spoils of the land, after they had already overtaken the troop and after they would already recovered their families and their spoils, he says as he returns back, the 200 greet him now. They were not permitted to go. He wouldn't allow it to happen. He recognized the need in their life. And he said, your job is going to change. You're not going to be doing this ministry anymore. You've got to do this ministry. But of course, we're told in verse 24 that they tarried by the stuff. Exactly what their responsibilities were, I don't know. Obviously, they were too weary to literally carry a sword and hold a shield. They're too weary to ride and to chase after this troop. But they weren't too weary to <clears throat> tarry by the stuff. They may not have been able to do the warfare that they had so desired to do. David said, no, you're not going with us this time. I need you here. You stay by the stuff. You tarry here. And they did. And as they return... The Bible tells us in verse 22, Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them all of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. He said, man, they, these, these, these men that did not go with us, these that did not wield a sword, those that did not hold a shield, those that didn't engage in the literal physical battle that we just now fought, those that weren't there to literally take down the enemy and, and capture those that had been fallen, I, I'm telling you, we're not going to give them any part of the spoil. No, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, we're going to give them their wife and we'll give them their children and they're going to, we're going to send them on their way. Notice they were men of Belial. 
Satan had filled their hearts. David speaks up in verse 24, our text, and says, For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. Again, while we can't say exactly what the responsibility of the 200 was, we're told they tarried by the stuff. I mean, that, that to me says a mouthful. I mean, in this case, they, they weren't physically able, as we said already, to engage in warfare, hand-to-hand combat, but they were employed in other service. I think what we're going to learn tonight is While there's never an excuse for neglecting God-given roles and responsibility, there are times or seasons in our life when certain roles and responsibilities may be impossible or impractical to perform. See, these were soldiers. They were expected to carry carry a a sword and a shield, but that wasn't practical, nor was it possible at that time in their life. Thus, they were given another duty that would ultimately yield the same reward as their first. See, the importance of the work that we do at times can be misunderstood. You know, just because a tiny gear is not seen buried behind a watch cover doesn't mean that it's not as important to the operation of the watch as the large hand on the face. See, one may see the large arm, and some of you kids don't even know what I'm talking about because you don't know what a watch looks like anymore. It's actually got hands, and they go around. And they point to things. And those things tell us what time it is. Now, let's be honest. Very few people have watches like that these days. But as I got to thinking about this, I couldn't help but, in my own mind, draw a picture. And I thought to myself... That little gear that sets inside that cover may not be seen, and it may be minuscule and very, very tiny indeed. But if I would remove that tiny gear, that big hand would never move. You'll never see that little tiny gear. But it's just as important to the operation of that watch or clock as the big hand is. A watch without a gear is as useless as one without the big hand. And I want to encourage every one of God's people to understand that their efforts behind the scenes are as important as those that are out front. One of the most neglected areas that behind the scenes, you've guessed it, didn't you? Prayer. I want to talk about your prayer and my prayer. I need someone to help me out today. Let me go ahead and have Greg come on up. I want, I want Greg to do something for me today. It's going to kind of look interesting. I want you to just kind of put your feet there. Just plant them right there. Just scoot on up a little bit. Maybe right on over here so everybody can see you good. Right about like that. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to take this out of here. And uh, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want you to walk, but I don't want you to move your right foot. 
I want you to keep your right foot planted and go ahead and start walking. Well, no, I mean, well start, start walking. Come on, get it done. No, you can't. Not that way. Come on. Come on. Come on. Start, start walking like you would. Not just, what, what's going to happen? Go ahead. Start walking. No, you can't move that foot. Let's start walking. What, what's really going to happen? He can't, you're not walking now. You're just stretching. Start walking. What's going to happen? All you can do is go and what? Stay right there. We'll have some further instruction later. So if he begins to try to walk as his right foot is planted, all that happens is he goes what? Around in circles. If I said to him the same thing, well, go ahead and plant your left foot and begin to walk, he's going to end up going in what? Circles again. That's right. He's not really going to accomplish a whole lot. He's not going to get anywhere fast because he needs what? Both feet. See, prayer and work are two spiritual feet that God has given us. We need to use both of them. Thanks. Too often we're using one or the other. And normally it's not prayer today. Therefore, it seems we only go round in circles. We waste a lot of energy. Christians who are constantly working without praying have reduced Christianity to little more than human effort. Prime example of this, I believe, is found in Martha, who scolded Mary for sitting at the feet of Jesus. I mean, there was little doubt that the work was needed and that it had to be done. But not at the expense of neglecting the Savior. At least, that's what should have been on the minds of both Mary and Martha. The work would have gotten done, I believe, if indeed they would have focused their attention on the Master. If they would have spent the time worshiping Jesus Christ together, I'm really certain that it would have probably been done even more effortlessly. And I believe much more would have been accomplished in a shorter amount of time if worship had been the first priority. See, everything can be explained in too many churches today. There's no mystery about what's happening today in in churches, is there? I mean, at times it seems that we have no more supernatural power that can be found in just, say, the Akron Rotary Club. I mean, they're there to do good deeds. And again, it's not my intention to demean Rotary Clubs or any other helpful organizations, but merely I want to point out the fact that they're not churches. And yet they do mighty works on behalf of others. They don't do that with the Spirit of God. They don't do that through prayer. They do that through toil and effort and work. And they do that through effective organization. They simply work. See, the body of Christ is supposed to be comprised of a people that walk with God. And we're to walk with God in a very balanced spiritual life. Prayer and work and prayer and work. And prayer always leads to work, by the way. And work always grows out of prayer. And I'm convinced sometimes that 
Sometimes we fail to pray because we're afraid we'll be called to work. I'm convinced of that. In his book, Why Pray, Arthur John DeVries makes this statement. He says, or, or, or begins by stating, The Western church may be compared to a little boy trying to fly a kite on a windless day. He runs furiously up and down the sidewalk, pulling his little kite behind him. And as long as he runs, the kite flies. The moment the little fellow stops, the kite plunges to the ground. His problem? The wind isn't blowing. He goes on to say, quote, The Western church with its members burned out from endless programs, seminars, classes, committee meetings, planning sessions, and organizational flow charts is much like that boy. We're too often trying to carry the church and its programs by our own efforts. The wind of the Spirit is not blowing. All of a sudden, it becomes a very serious matter determining which foot goes first then, doesn't it? Do we work first and then ask God to bless our efforts? Sadly enough, we do often. We plan, we prepare, we ready ourselves, and then when it's all said and done and we're taking our first step out the door, we say, God bless our efforts. But the wind is not blowing. And so we carry the weight of the ministry on our shoulders, don't we? We work like dogs night and day. We wonder why we don't see the kind of results that we believe ought to be seen. And we try to blame it on things like the culture and society and the sin of mankind. But the reality is, is that the real blame is found in starting off with the wrong foot. Joshua stood overlooking the city of Jericho when the Lord showed up. He had undoubtedly been rehearsing his strategy in his mind and contemplating the potential outcome. He had been a part of many battles and he would have had, I'm sure, a number of good ideas as to how to strategize or how to employ his business. I mean, when the Lord appeared, Joshua was literally prepared to run him through He looks at the Lord and he says, Are you on our side or are you on theirs? And the Lord wasn't on anyone's side. And you've got to get on His side if you want the victory. God goes on to present a very unconventional plan of attack, which was extremely foreign to Joshua, I'm sure. I mean, he was used to surrounding the city with troops and maybe scaling the walls or building some kind of ramp against the wall and then going over the top, maybe filling the air with arrows or breaking down the gates. But the strategy that he was shared with by God was light years from the attack strategy that he would have ever imagined. Marching. Well, that's, that's right, Joshua, march. 
March. Yes, that's right. March, Joshua. Just march. Marching was the plan. Still, when it was all said and done, there was not one casualty or one fatality recorded. If anyone but God had suggested or introduced such a plan, they would have earned a spot on the cover of Insanity Weekly. Their plan would have been filed in file 13. No one would have given any credence to that particular whimsical idea. I mean, that would make no sense at all. Let's just gather all the troops and march around the city. But God had a plan. See, Joshua learned a valuable lesson. We're to pray first and ask God to show us how to work. Too many times we're doing things just because that's the way we've always done it. But God reveals how to get the job done, not just gives the strength to get it done. How did Jesus start? Well, just from a casual read of the Bible, it's not hard to note that he started with prayer, is it? You know, let's be honest. Being idle today in the church isn't very common. It's not really a real problem in the church. Now, I know in some churches people say, well, we can't get anybody to work. But the truth is, in most cases, in most churches, there's more activity than half the time we can even stand. We're busier than ever, but we accomplish very little. Why? Because we're not in step with the Lord Jesus Christ. We often run the church like we run corporations today. We have our planning meetings, our goals, and our objectives. We, we have it all figured out, and we bless it with a simple word of prayer. God, God bless our soul winning. God bless our teams, and God bless our offering. And somehow we think that those quaint little statements or verbiages may somehow enlist the power of the Holy Ghost and the supernatural power of God on our efforts and our plans. But God never promised to empower our plans. He only promises to empower His. I want to clarify for a moment too. In Ephesians, excuse me, the Bible tells us in the book of Luke chapter 14 verse 28 that we are to count the cost. We are to walk circumspectly according to Ephesians 5.15. So we certainly should organize and prepare and implement. All of them are part of a process, undoubtedly. The problem is found when they become a substitute for prayer. Let me tell you about a church that decided to see how important it was to pray before they contacted neighbors. You can shut the air off. What time is it? Yep, shut it off. We're good. We only have another hour. (laughs) Nonetheless, they selected at random a neighborhood of 160 houses near their church. Now, again, I know that 160 houses is nothing compared to 
the endeavors that we've engaged in, but it does serve a purpose and a point, so please listen closely. They divided the area into two sections, and they asked the congregation to pray intensively for one section of 80 houses. But prayer was not a high priority for the other section of homes. And after a period of prayer, the church planned to contact all the houses in the neighborhood. The church secretary would ask the people in the neighborhood if they had had any prayer needs or if they would like to have someone from the church call on them and discuss those needs. After a set period of prayer, the church secretary contacted 160 homes. She asked the exact same question using the same exact approach. By phone, she told them, who she was, explained that the church was willing to include all who lived in the neighborhood in their prayer program and asked if they had any specific prayer requests for which the church could intercede. She also offered to have a couple call if the neighbors had, uh, excuse me, they also offered to have a couple call if the, the neighbors had matters they would like to talk about for prayer. When she called the 80 homes that had not been prayed for, she found that only one person responded with a prayer request. One person. But when she called the 80 homes that had been deliberately prayed for, prayed for on purpose, she found to her amazement, get this now, 67 of those families responded with prayer requests. And more than 40 of them asked for visits from the church. I read this account in that same book that I just mentioned a moment ago. Why pray? Because it works. Because it's God's plan. It's because it's what He demands, commands, and requires and wants from us. Even if it didn't work, we should pray. Because God tells us to. Whether we ever saw one result or, or not is not really the issue. But because we do see answers to prayer, how much more should we be motivated to devote ourselves to it? We talked about your prayer and mine. Let's talk about our part. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 22, again, let's read those three verses, 22 through 24. <clears throat> he says, Then answered all the wicked men and, and men of Belial, those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, will not give them aught for the of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren. But that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. Again, there were 400 that went to battle, and there were 200 that tarried by the stuff. Again, notice, they shall part alike. That means that their share was equal with those that went to battle. The benefit or reward given by our Lord at the judgment seat of Christ will extend to every level of service. I never said that it would extend to every level of rebellion or disobedience. 
I want to clarify that. But if there's not rebellion and disobedience in our heart, then every area is just as vital and as important and rewarded equally. If God tells you to go start a church tomorrow and you do not start a church, don't think that going out soul winning makes up for the lack of obedience. That's what I'm trying to express to you. If God tells you to ride your bicycle around the world, throwing tracks out as you go, and you decide to take your automobile instead, don't think that just because you traveled four times around the earth with a car versus once with a bike, that God will count that equal. That's all I'm saying. Please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to express. But I am confident, as I said before, that so often we look at some of the minute areas or things that we consider to be small areas of service, and we somehow think that the ones that are visible are so much more worthy of praise not at all. The reward that God will, that we'll receive is equal. Whether you're that small gear inside that, that, that watch or you're the big hand on the front, it doesn't matter. They're both essential and necessary to the fulfillment of the purpose of that watch. You know, I'm sure that those men were eager to participate in the battle, but they just couldn't at that time. It's impossible. They were in all the way, but unable to perform that particular job at the time. Maybe later, possibly next time, I don't know. But either way, David steps up and says, But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. Let me ask you, are you sticking by the stuff? Are you faithful in the area of service that the Lord has given you? He said, but I wish I could do this service, or I I feel I I wish I could do that service, and, and I just can't right now. Well, let me tell you something. You may or may not be able to. Maybe in a sense, you just, this is not the right time. This, there's a season in your life where you're unable to perform that, which, which you want to be able to perform. But God says instead, I want you plugged in over here right now. I believe in our church we have a number of very, very good hearts. I'm confident of that. But I'm also aware that we're all different and we're all individuals. I understand that unfortunately in this very hectic culture we live in, our schedules aren't all the same and things are up in the air half the time and we don't know which way we're turning at times. But what I do know is There's plenty of work to go around. There is no more important work, my friend, than prayer. Some of the men had thought to withhold the spoils from them simply because they didn't go to battle with them. And David says, just because they didn't physically do the fighting, they were in the battle because they were keeping the fires burning on the home front. They were tearing by the stuff. They kept things in order back home while we cared or took care of the enemy abroad. See, not everyone is able to go out to battle with a shield and a sword. There are those that are physically unable. There are others who are needed in other areas and just as and they're just as mission essential. Boy, that Tuesday night 
need for a, a, a Tuesday night uh, soul winning, need some people to help with watching some kids. I mean, just because you can't go out door knocking on Tuesday night, maybe you can help out in a nursery and prepare the opportunity for those that do go out that particular evening. Hey, you tarrying by the stuff will receive the same amount of spoil and the same reward one day as those will. It's not a little job. It's mission essential. It's absolutely necessary. I understand that the soldiers are called to battle, and I'll guarantee you there were no sadder men on this earth than those 200 that had to remain behind. And by the way, David made them stay. They didn't have a choice. I'm sure half of them were trying to drag to their horses and trying to get up on there. And David says, this isn't the time for you. This isn't good. Right now you'll be a detriment to yourself and a detriment to us probably. You're not in a position to help right now. Maybe later. Maybe next time. And some of you that are here tonight, some of you wish you could get out on the front line. Some of you wish you could teach the Sunday school class. Some of you wish you could do some of the things you used to do, but you're physically unable or you're just not able to accomplish some of the things you used to be able to do. Let me tell you, that doesn't mean you are useless and that doesn't mean that you're no longer needed. What that means is right now, you need to stick by the stuff. I'm going to be honest with you. If I wasn't going out door to door, I'd be praying. I don't care if I just flat said I'll never go out there. I don't care how many times a preacher talks about it. I would at least be in there praying. I would be praying. Because prayer is that essential and that important. It takes a workforce back home to support those on the field, doesn't it? And if you've been in the military, you know that's the case. I tell you what, I was always glad when a meal was ready when I got out of the field. I was always happy when I saw the shower tent show up. Now, there were times I wish I was working on that side and not the other. But then again, there were times I'm sure they were wishing they were on the other side. But we're all mission essential. And they part alike. They part alike. The sky is the limit. But before it is, prayer must be sent ahead. I've been excited about team soul winning. We just started calling it that a few mo- a month ago or so. I'm excited about it. Because when I began to pray and I began to ask God, what in the world can we do that will incorporate the whole? Sometimes it seems to me that people feel as though if they don't go soul winning, they're nothing. Well, you've got an opportunity now to be involved. To be just as important, just as essential. You are the gear that turns the big hand. Without you, it doesn't work. Without the prayer, we are dead in the water. We could debate all day, really, whether the big hand is the prayer. Because without the prayer, nothing else goes. I want to encourage you tonight. 
I, I, I want 100% participation. When I thought, when the Lord put this on my heart, I thought, this is awesome. Not only will our teams be able to take ownership, not only will they be able to claim something as their own, be able to wake, lay awake at night and just dream about those people and dream about those, just sit there and think about those streets and, and be able to see those souls and see those hearts pounding there on, those, on that pavement. I just want you to catch a glimpse of those people every day of your life. And then I thought to myself, this is so awesome to think that we're going to be able to incorporate others and have people join in as prayer partners and take part in the victories that will take place on those streets. We'll be praying them down, the walls down. The walls that keep a man or a woman from coming to Christ. We'll be able to pray Satan away so that the seed of the Word will be planted deep and it will not be stolen out of their hearts. God help us to understand We just need to stick by the stuff. Whether you're out in those streets or you're in your prayer closet, they shall part alike. Get in on those spoils. Tarry by the stuff. If you can't go, pray. You know your heart. I don't. Maybe this is a bad season for you. You want to be out there. You can't. But you can pray. Let's get in on the spoils. And you'll have equal part. Father, we come to you.